Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases. The content may be triggering or inappropriate for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Amber. And this is our very first bonus episode. I'm so excited to be throwing out some extra content for you guys. And really, how this all came about was that I was tooling around uh, working on another case when I came across this case and was like, holy shit. We got to do a bonus. Yeah, we mm-hmm. just talked about it. It's, it's tied in with Otis Tool and Henry Lee Lucas that we had just talked about a couple of episodes ago. I think episode five. Yes, it was number five. This ties into that. I'm like, we've got to put this out. So here we are. And actually, here we are recording for the first time in our very own sound studio it's so exciting it is exciting it is basically a really nice little room with sound foam and our own table and chair set up should we give your mans some credit my mans needs all the credit because he did he took a space out of our basement and made us a whole damn room it's so cool and if that doesn't say honey i support what you're doing i just don't know what does oh for sure it was some hard work we're talking like drywall and everything you guys oh yeah we have carpet we have carpet (laughs) we have legit walls our own real walls real carpet recording studio it has nothing to do with the fact that he wanted us out of the office that he has to walk through to get to the garage and get i'm sure snacks and drinks it's fine i think he probably (laughs) was like you know what i want to listen to this podcast at the best quality the best sound quality that i can so just know you guys that we are working really hard on putting out it reinvesting um for good sound quality because that is very important to us and if you have lasted hung with us during these beginning stages we really, really Thank appreciate you. it. We know sometimes we get a little excited and we blow out your eardrums and we're working on it and we're learning and we will be investing, um, continuing to invest in good sound quality. Yes. I'm probably known for a <laughs> – I shouldn't say that. Never mind. <laughs> Do I was going to say I'm, I'm probably known for a good blowout. <laughs> As soon as I started to say it, I realized that that did not sound Was very good. Not how you want to represent yourself? No. <laughs> you heard it here first, you guys. Amber is good for oh, exclusive good news. <laughs> oh shit. Okay. Well, on that note, enough about Amber. <laughs> Let's just move on with this case. As yes, I was, so this is a forty-year-old case. Um, it's finally been solved. There will be trial, a trial and whatnot to come forward with, but oh, there still has yet to be a trial. Oh, yes, just just wait. Just in February, DNA evidence finally linked the killer. So we'll be putting out updates on whether or not he pleads guilty, what his defense is going to be, yada, yada, all that stuff. But the evidence is, I mean, it's his DNA. It's very, very compelling. So, okay. This is the 40-year-old, very tragic case and death of Sylvia Quayle. 
like I said earlier, I actually stumbled upon this when I was down a different rabbit hole for another case that I'm working on. When I came across this news article and then started digging deep into this and the next thing I knew, I was knee deep in court documents Mm -hmm. and this is brand new information. So I could not help myself but to throw together a script on it. I I would have been upset if you didn't. I found some amazing content. So like I was saying earlier, the reason that this is linked to our episode five of Otis Tool and Henry Lee Lucas that we did during Valentine's week for uh, cringeworthy couples. And they were cringeworthy. They absolutely were. This woman, Sylvia Quayle, is a person that Otis Tool tried to take credit for, <gasps> if you want to call it credit. But he he admitted to killing her. And we now have okay. DNA evidence that shows that he is not the killer. I'm not surprised because the two of them, Henry and Addis, were just all like they were trying to take credit for so many things. Yes. They, that they didn't do or, you know. They were. That was the whole reason why I wanted to do this is to hone in on that point that we said so many times during that episode that they may seem like they're these huge prolific serial killers. And they were. They absolutely were. Mm-hmm. But they tried to make themselves even more horrendous than they already were by claiming victims that they did not murder. It's like who had the biggest fish but with serial killers. Yes, which makes me really wonder, was he, was Tool responsible for the case of Adam Walsh? I know, doesn't it make you always, I will always wonder. Me too. About that case. And they did clear in 1993, I believe is what I read, um, of not connecting him to Sylvia. So they knew that before he died that he likely was not. But but this is one of the cases that he tried to claim he had done. So let's get into the beautiful Sylvia, shall we? Yes, please. She was born September 23rd, 1946 to William and Mary Quayle in Englewood, Colorado. The Englewood High School graduate was ambitious, vibrant, friendly, and lit up the room when she walked in. That was a direct quote that came to us from an NBC News article. She was a history buff. She enjoyed researching the work of her architect uncle, Wesley Quayle. Sylvia also worked as a secretary at an architectural firm. She was an excellent cook. She had also opened her own business specializing in wedding cakes. Wow, she sounds amazing. She sounds like life goals for me. Yeah, she really seems so well-rounded. The NBC News article also said that she had a lot of friends that she would have given her last dollar to if they had needed it. She was an avid artist. She created pottery. And actually, her sister still keeps a lot of her pottery throughout her home, even oh, that's awesome. Decades later, like this, and she loved her little sister very much. And we will we'll get into more about her little her family. She was also extremely close to her parents, who lived about a hundred and fifty feet away from their daughter. Oh, I, mean, I always love to hear about families that are like that close, that close that they stick together and. Their neighbors. One of the investigators on the case actually said that she had a wonderful, loving relationship with her parents and that she had coffee with them every morning. How adorable does it get? I know. And and really, it's her close relationship with her family that actually resulted in discovering her death very quickly. Mm. She lived at 3800 Olgan Street in the city of Cherry 
Hills Village, Colorado. On August 4, 1981, just before 8 a.m., her father, William, went to their typical morning coffee routine to go have coffee mm-hmm. with his daughter. He saw right away the front door and the screen door of the home were open. As he went inside, he was met with a parent's absolute worst nightmare. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Get, this is trigger this, alert now. Is this now where I need to put my Yeah, my we're just jumping right on. into this. Okay. This is a bonus episode. We dive right in. All right. And we make it quick and dirty liking, here. I'm not liking what I'm hearing, mm-hmm. but proceed. So what he saw was this. His daughter was lying naked and face up on the living room floor with her arms above her head, and her legs were separated widely. She had a red-colored shirt that was pulled up over her head and left partially on her arms, but it covered her from the nose up. There was also a white towel-like garment left covering her face. Her father, William, immediately dialed 911. That call came in as a woman down call mm-hmm. at 7.57 a.m. And dispatched, ah, excuse me, and they dispatched police officers Gerald Marquis and Jack Duvall. William told the officers that he had removed the white garment from Sylvia's face and placed it over her pelvic area for privacy. Oh, my heart. I know. Bless his heart. I can't imagine, you know, you're so close with your daughter. That you see her every morning Uh for coffee, and this is just your regular routine, and here you go, Mm -hmm. walking essentially just across the street. You're 150 feet away from her, and this has happened while you were that close to her. Yeah. And I know that you're not supposed to touch anything from a crime scene, but, but really, Sylvia's his baby, and to see her like that and to know that she would not want her father to see her yeah. like that. I'm not is, so sure that you would think about that as a parent in that moment. I don't think so at all. I mean, he's not thinking of the police work. He did what any of us would have done for our children yeah. or anyone we saw, really, not even our children. I mean, it's just about giving them dignity. Yeah, I feel like it's a protective yeah. parent instinct, instinct to do something like I, that. I agree. The police did have to move the garment back to its original place for investigation purposes, of course. And the detectives on this case originally were Larry Whiteman and Richard Kress, probably saying that wrong, K-R-U-A-S, from the Cherry Hills Village Police Department. And they called in the Colorado Bureau of Investigations, or CBI, to assist, which means that they knew right from the get-go that they were out of their scope of training and expertise and had to call in another bureau. We don't get to say that a whole lot. Mm-hmm. A majority of the time, we get some jackass that's like, I got this. I'm fine. We, we got it from here. Yeah, yeah. And and don't want other people stepping on their territory because they want the glory or whatever. Good for them to be like, hey, this is out of our league. We need yes. help. And not only that, but you'll see through this case, I mean, this is 40 years later. And literally, this happened in 1981. Mm -hmm. And the case has been handed down and people were still working on it. So I just think that is awesome. We finally can present a case where it's not like, oh, no, you know, it was botched from the beginning. Yeah, we've got some teamwork going on. As they were investigating, they discovered that Sylvia had been shot with a 22 caliber, caliber bullet in the top of her head. She was stabbed three times in her upper back on both the left and right side. There was visible evidence of her being strangled, and she had been sexually assaulted. John Wood performed the autopsy, and the report indicated that Sylvia's cause of death was exsanguination due to the wounds in her heart, aorta, and both lungs, which means 
essentially that she had a loss of blood from trauma to those mm. parts. She died of internal bleeding, which likely happened very quickly. I'm kind of glad to hear that. Yes. Her. That's why I wanted to include that little tidbit that I read from the autopsy report because so many times I'm left wondering how it, horrific yes, the because, death was or the suffering. Yes. So I'm not a medical examiner. And so sometimes I don't know. You know, obviously there there are certain things like when we hear about somebody's jugular, jugular vein, you know, we know they bled out pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to stab wounds, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean a swift death. And so I was I wanted to include that because at least we can. It gives me a that. little relief mm-hmm. that she didn't suffer. Exactly. A horrific death. The secondary cause of death was the bullet wound to her head. It's really believed that she probably died of her internal injuries mm-hmm. before and then oh, wow. was just shot to make sure that the job was done, essentially. The investigators had also discovered, besides what I already mentioned, was a kitchen knife was close to Sylvia's body with blood on it, and it was covered um, with a, a shirt, like a little blouse. There was a pair of white panties on the floor a few feet away from the knife, Sylvia's hands were covered in blood, and she had several broken fingernails. She had visible red marks on her neck, both elbows and knees. The marks on her neck were consistent with those of fingernails. She also had those same marks on her inner left thigh, and she had significant black and blue bruising on her left hip bone. There were several areas on the living room floor that appeared to have blood on them, The majority was found close to Sylvia's feet, but there was also some found by the front door. There was a significant amount of blood also found on her pillow and on her bedroom floor between the bed and the door. So all of this to me says that Sylvia was attacked in her bed, which is what they do think happened. And I think that she must have fought like hell for her life. Good for her. Scratching and clawing at one point and even being close enough to the front door to lose oh. blood over there. Yeah. After doing some interviews, they knew that Sylvia had spoken to her little sister, Joe on the phone around 11 p.m. the night of August 3rd. And then her father found her, as I had said, just before 8 a.m. on yeah. August 4th. So she... They had a really tight time frame to go by as they discovered that the intruder had cut the phone lines to the home um, in both the living room and on the outside. So he that kind of creeps me out because I feel I, that to me says that once he got into her house, he was walking around it before oh, God. he attacked her. Mm-hmm. Like my worst nightmare. I know as I'm telling you this and I'm <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I will be you walking around know. the perimeter of my right. home when I get, get it back. It is 9 o'clock at night when we are <laughs> yes. recording this, and so that is probably not the, also why I can't really speak very clearly because I've worked all day and it's 9 o'clock at night, and I, now I'm trying to record a podcast. But and you see some motion lights surrounding the perimeter in good, my future. Yes, good idea. Cameras, good. whatever, yeah. whatever it takes. So he had cut the phone telephone lines on the outside of the home as well. And what he did was he used a garden hose to sling across the black telephone line and pull it down to cut it. Oh, I thought you were going to say he was like he slid down it like some kind of ninja <laughs> stealth operation. I would not. Who give is this him, monster? Give him that much credit. Anyway, no, no. carry on. No, but it was. I mean, I mean, that is pretty crafty. Use the garden yeah. hose, slide it down, cut the line. And he left the line just laying across the hood of her car. 
And he had also done the same thing to another telephone line that was on the other side of her house. And he left that lay in the yard, like wrapped up with the hose. The hose had black marks on it indicating how he had used it to pull it down to cut it. Uh-huh. So I feel like this tells us that he had cased the place ahead of time. I was just going to say there's no way he just kind of like randomly was like, I'm going to yep. stop by here tonight. Because he found all that stuff in the dark. Right. And the way he haphazardly like left it. To me, it says he went in there with the intentions of murdering her and then leaving. For sure. It wasn't like I'm just going to rob her or um, kidnap her or something like that. It was, yeah, I don't give a shit that I'm just leaving this here. And we'll find out more about him and what his MO is in a bit. Investigators also discovered that he had entered through a bathroom window. He had taken the screen out and hid the screen about 75 yards away in some brush like a bushy area, I guess. This He worked hard for this. Mm-hmm. Like, he did a lot to actually get into the house. Well, then he took out things that she had lined the windowsill with, which were typical of bathroom things. So, like, her Aquanet, her, what else did it say? She had two curlers, a silver oh my canister, God. a small silver spoon. I envisioned this taking, like, three hours for him to carefully, like, disassemble oh, yeah. things and put get them... the screen out and then carefully yes. set all these bathroom this bathroom paraphernalia from the windowsill down and they found it all below the window this is a committed and i should say killer. it said hairspray it didn't say aquanet but it's 1981 it was aquanet. I, I think it's safe to assume that Feeling we had some aquanet absolutely going on. and i was just picturing these very innocent bathroom things you know two curlers a, a silver canister and a small silver spoon you know that she like took her nyquil with Aww. you know yeah just like your usual bathroom yeah stuff stuff yeah so the window was not actually open but it wasn't locked and it had pry marks on it that were caused when he pried it open of course and like i said they believed this is how he had gained access into the home There was also a small hole in the screen of Sylvia's bedroom window, which fucking creeps me out. So creepy. And she was sleeping, I'm assuming, through all of this. Yep, that's what they believe. Now let's talk about what they collected from the scene because this becomes hugely important. They took swabs of Sylvia's body, specifically from her breasts and vaginal area. They took the living room area rug that her body was found on. And they took the white garment that was on her face and the white panties and the knife. They collected and retained about 140 pieces of evidence in total. That is between the swabs, the photos, and all the information that we've already discussed. And that, sorry if you just heard me hit my microphone, I talk with my hands. It's okay, we forgive you. Okay. It might have been really loud. (laughs) That evidence has been subjected to all the DNA technological advances between 1981 and today. In 1983, the area rug was subjected to an alternate light source testing and discovered that there was a foreign substance was found on it that did not belong to Sylvia. So basically, guys, bit by bit, as technology improved over the years, they were able to piece together more and more evidence. That's almost kind of neat to, to know that they kept it going all of that time. Oh, yes. To retest things. Yes. People kept fighting for mm-hmm. her to find out who did this to her. What is this foreign substance you speak of? That, is, that was, did not that belong was to not her. That was not her. Semen. Okay. That's mm-hmm. what I was wondering, yep. but I was hoping that We get to it, it in, a, in a minute, but yeah. Okay. Nope, it was it was semen. Okay. 
And remember, as technology advances, these things don't just happen overnight. People have to be taught how to use the technology, and backlogs happen as evidence is sent from all kinds of unsolved cases. So the carpet was also then tested in 1995 for further DNA testing as some more advances were made. Isn't it amazing the secrets that carpet holds um, over the years? That is why I have all hardwood floors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I don't need those secret keeping little bitches yeah. in my house. Carpets don't lie. <laughs> uh, they don't. I prefer to just mop that all up. So we've we've got these pieces of evidence being sent out as quickly as they can as advances are being made. Mm-hmm. But, of course, it's not like they're sent to the lab and the lab tests them that same exact day. Right. It takes years to be getting information, data back, right? So what had happened is by the time of the year 2000, they had mapped a DNA from this evidence. So they have it all mapped and they know it belongs to an unknown male. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's placed in the FBI DNA index where it remained until 2020. Wow. Yes. In January of 2020, the Cherry Hills Police Department began working with a company called United Data Connect, which is a genetic genealogy analysis company. And on May 6th, 2020, the United Data Connect provided information to the police department of a possible DNA match as David Dwayne Anderson. Is this our is this our man? Oh, this is our man. Big okay. DDA. D- Damn David, you DDA. David Dwayne Anderson, born October 7th, 1958, and he is currently residing in Kozad, Nebraska. Kozad? Is he still he's still alive, huh? Oh, yes. Something tells me I'm not going to be satisfied with what you're going to tell me. Oh, I think you I think you will. Oh, you're not. Oh, OK. Co-host. I, I shall fret not. You shall fret not because DDA gets caught up with. Don't okay. worry. Can I ask, was there any leads in that time as far as pinpointing someone? It doesn't sound like they really had a lot of suspects. No, it was cold as cold the as Michigan ice. winter that we have. Mm, that's cold. Mm-hmm. It was really just them continuing to submit evidence to try to heat this case back up. Okay. Um, so on January 17th. So, oh, let me let me back up. So remember, now they're like, okay, this United Data Connect was like, hey, we've got a possible DNA match here to a David Dwayne Anderson. So just so I'm understanding, mm-hmm. the, the data, 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 mm-hmm. sits there until... They get basically till it hit. Until like, they oh, get a hit, we got a match. Yes, yes. Until it that's, pings. That's mm-hmm. incredibly exciting. Mm-hmm. Also maddening because you have to wait. And I think that in the future we're going to be doing a lot of podcasts on a lot of cold cases that are going to be resolved. Resolved because and of that. A spoiler alert for you guys: we're actually working on one that mm-hmm. a, a pretty big one that has to do with a, a DNA break. So I, I think this is going to be a very regular thing. I'm hopeful for the future of cold cases that as DNA uh, technology continues to advance at the rate that it has, that we're going to have so, so much closure for families. There's so many I hope unsolved so. cases once you start digging. I know. So it's many. So sad. So here here it is. They, they tell them, they tell Cherry Hills Police Department. Now, I want you to remember, this happened in January of 2020, so right before the pandemic, right? Like just last year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 
This case at this point in time was 39 years old. So how easy would it have been for the Cherry, Hill, Cherry Hills Police Department to just like not care about it? Right. You know like, what I mean? Oh, this is that, so old. Yeah. Do we even... That is not what they did. What happens was United Data Connect also provided them with information showing that Anderson was living in Cherry Hills, Colorado prior to, during, and after the murder of Sylvia Quayle. Wow. All right. And on January 17th, 2021... Like, I can practically still remember what I was doing that day. I know. It was just, like... We were birthing a podcast. We were were giving birth. We were brainstorming the birth of our baby, Crime Curious. Born via C-section. Yes. (laughs) 2021. So, on January 17th, 2021, United Data Collect Investigator... Went to Cozad, Nebraska. And if you're from there and I'm saying that wrong, please feel free to correct, to correct me nicely because I love to learn and I'm sorry if I'm butchering your town's name. So this this data collect investigator did surveillance to determine the correct address of Anderson as 901 Lane, Apartment 11. Then the investigator, he his last name was Fuller. He went dumpster diving. Like, My he hero. did the damn thing. You know thing. what? I'm guessing if they were... Well, it would have been just before quarantine, right? No, this is this is, is this, this year. Quarantine. This is 2021. I'm he thinking went they were like, dove a, di- a dumpster. I'm, I bet they were excited. Like, let's do this. We've out. been let quarantined. Me do, right. for... Let me do something. Yes. I don't care if it's wading through a dumpster. I've got it. My hero. I love that that he did this. And what he did was he retrieved two trash bags from the apartment complex dumpster that contained discarded mail and bills from Anderson showing ownership of the trash bags. That is commitment. So he had to dig through those bags. Oh, he went body and elbow deep. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And what he – so he first establishes these two trash bags belong to – Dwayne Anderson. Mm-hmm. That's his middle name, actually. His first name's David. We don't care. DDA. They, they, it belongs to him because it's got all of his bills and whatnot that mm-hmm. he's just discarded. Probably didn't pay them either. I knew you were going to say that. I could see it on your face. I was waiting. <laughs> Sorry, I'm being judgy. <laughs> so they also collected a vanilla Coke can, a great value water bottle, a spiced rum bottle, and a Michelob Ultra bottle, which kind of sounds like it could have been my trash can. Just <laughs> like, which one are you going through here, pal? Spiced rum? Check. Got some beer? Check. A Walmart water bottle? Check, check. <laughs> the only place he lost me was the vanilla Coke can. Change it to a regular Coke can to mix with that rum, and that is my garbage. You had me at the unpaid bills over here. No, I'm kidding. I kid. I paid that, them. That was really funny. <laughs> On January 29th, 2021, the DNA found on the objects that that were retrieved from the garbage can were matched to the evidence that had been collected nearly 40 years before at the crime scene. Oh, my God. That's so exciting. Isn't it? Sorry. The sound effects just come out of me. (laughs) Oh, that was a good one. That was good. What they matched were this. On the carpet, Anderson's semen. 
the swabs um, that were taken from mm-hmm. Sylvia's vagina, of course, Anderson's semen. The swabs from her breast matched Anderson's YSTR DNA, which, of course, I had to look up, so I'm going to explain it to you. YSTRs are often used in forensic paternity and genealogical DNA testing. They are taken specifically from the male Y chromosome. Okay. Yep, so that's how they were able to to match it. And last, the towel garment that had been put on her face had Anderson's semen and uh, Sylvia's blood on it. Oh. I know. So I'm just picturing him just completely like just... Putting, shoving it in her face. Yes, just discarding it on her. It just... Oh. Now, the affidavit requesting the arrest warrant also noted this. There was part of the carpet that was taken out of the police evidence storage unit in 2012 and accidentally discarded. But that mistake was later realized on the same day and it was put back in the storage unit. Okay. However, remember how I said in 1995 another section of carpet was was taken off and sent in for more testing mm-hmm. as technology advanced? The affidavit stated that the piece of carpet, excuse me, that that piece of carpet had remained in the storage unit at all times and was never discarded. And that was the piece of evidence that was used to make the semen DNA match to Anderson. I think it was very smart for them to put that in the affidavit to the um, judge because now the defense can't claim that the carpet was somehow tainted and when it was accidentally discarded they they really really covered their yeah. you know did their docu- their chain of evidence documenting as they should which is nice not something work. that we always see in cases yeah nice work guys girls whoever yes so a lot of this information that I'm telling you today does come from those court records and that affidavit that got the arrest warrant for David Okay. And the affidavit also noted that Anderson was arrested on many burglary charges between 1981 and 1986. I was going to ask you, but I didn't want to jump ahead, if this man had some other things going on. Because just the intricate intricate Mm -hmm. details of what he did... At her house to pre-plan. It clearly wasn't his first rodeo. Not your first rodeo, Mm -hmm. pal. So I was wondering. In those burglaries between 81 and 86, he had done them by taking out screens and hiding them to gain access to a bedroom window. And in those accounts, he also wore gloves, which explains the lack of fingerprints Mm -hmm. that they did not have at Mm -hmm. Sylvia's house. The court records also reflect that there was a very discreet time frame that the murder could have happened due to her talking with her little sister and her father discovering her body. And they noted that there was no other DNA found in the house aside for, or on those items aside from the victim and Anderson or on any of the evidence. And that given the severity of her injuries, Anderson would have been in the home at the time of her death. And not to mention all the other DNA evidence that I already mentioned. And the reason that they do that, they're already setting up their case. Like this could not have, he could not have broken into the home, stole something and then left and somebody else came in and mm-hmm. murdered her, you know, or they're like, this was a very discreet time frame. It's only their DNA found on these things. He was there when she died. Mm-hmm. So it was like a because seamless, her, mm-hmm. like we've got gotcha. you. Yes. That's how they're, they're, I mean, how it's presenting at this time. So on February 10th, 2021, that was only, oh, I know. Yes, that was just last month. Yep. 
Anderson was arrested for first-degree murder of Sylvia Quayle. Unfortunately, her parents are not alive to see this come to a close for their daughter. I wish that they would have had that. Well, yeah, but he William would have been, I mean, he was quite old. He'd yeah. be... I, I actually thought of it, and I can't remember now what it was. It was like 103 or oh, something. Okay. Gotcha. But William died in 1999, and Mary died 10 years later. Oh, okay. But her little sister and brother-in-law are alive, and it seems that they'll finally see some justice in this 40-year-old murder case. On Sylvia's gravestone, they had the quote, Beauty seen is never lost. As a reminder of what a beautiful person she was, which oh, I just I like loved that. that. And I want to commend the police work. Finally, we have a case where police police did everything that they could through the years to get the answers, no matter how old the case was. And they kept the chain of evidence tight so that technology advances could seek justice. This is why it's important to keep those cases alive. It is. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say that I'm happy that you brought to light that this was not Otis Tool, so he could not take credit for yes, this. Have, and we do know that he murdered people. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I But it, that sick satisfaction he got from from claiming things he didn't actually do. Yes. We took that away from we him did. a little bit. Or we you did, did, I should say. <laughs> no, you're a part of this too. You birthed this I am. baby too. I matter too. <laughs> I matter too. I, I did give birth to this baby too. <laughs> Oh, so let's do a quick brain bath, if you will, for our little quick bonus episode. Of course, I had to include that. Of course. Okay. I think I found a good little ditty for you because you always give me so much to laugh about that. The the brain bath gods usually provide for me they pretty do. well. They do. Well, tonight. It's your turn. It's my turn, baby. <laughs> I feel like a kid at Christmas waiting to hear this. This came from Rolling Stone. Okay. Okay. So you know it's going to be good. Oh, yeah. And I'm just going to read some, you guys. Man farts at detective until he's released. (laughs) If you don't read an article with that title, we cannot be friends. Yeah, absolutely. Generally, when being interrogated by police, it's best to keep your mouth shut unless you have a lawyer by your side. But maybe there's another way to get out of trouble. (laughs) According to the Rolling Stones article, Sean Skykes, a 24-year-old resident of Kansas City, he was found in a car. He was riding in a car where there were drugs and two handguns. So the police were like, yeah, come with us. We're going to take you in for some questioning. Okay. Mm -hmm. When the detective asked Skykes about his address, he leaned to one side. (laughs) We know what that stance is. We know what's about to happen. Not the lean. He leaned. (laughs) Leaned deep. He leaned to one side of his chair and released a loud fart before answering with the address. At least he gave the address. Yes, he did answer the question. He's like, oh, Del Taco, why? (laughs) (laughs) Why did I have have that extra taco? (laughs) The best part is what the detective wrote in his report. The barrage of farts continued. (laughs) So poetic. Yes. He continued to be flatulent, and I ended the interview. <laughs> I love how he was being so, so descriptive. Yes, 
So I don't know how many times that I have wrote a report that has something just grotesque in it, and I have to use these professional yes. words. Really paint a, a picture. Yes. One time I had I had to describe a dildo that a mom was beating her son with. Please tell me you called it an apparatus. I did. Oh, did you? I, I, call, I called it an apparatus and sex paraphernalia. Whenever I have seen toys in a in a home, I do refer to them as apparatus. apparatus. Yes, yep. <laughs> I and I do love a good paraphernalia as well. But this this just the, the barrage of farts continued. He continued to be flatulent, and I ended the interview. So he was not charged. Um, but he was pulled over two months later, and. Don't tell me he he strikes again. Um, No, he wasn't able to fart his way out of this Mm. one. I guess they found some crack and a stolen gun in Uh, his car. So that was the the end of the road for him. Can I just say that I think my true calling may be to write these articles because (laughs) it would be so rewarding for me. I think that at some point in time a bonus episode should be... Only brain baths. Oh my gosh. That's gotta be, that's gotta happen. That's in the like future. a dream that mm-hmm. it will be happening. I think we just gave birth again or we conceived. <laughs> we, we conceived, conceived. <laughs> in this moment. Oh, was it good for you? Because I loved it. It was so good. Very special moment. And we're going to put this out into the world where everybody just heard us conceive. You're welcome, everyone. (laughs) All right. Well, dare I jump in and say. You already have. I did. I'm, I'm diving in. To say that next week is Irish week. Is next week? Next week. Isn't it? Yes. I just I felt plug. like I needed to put that in there. Next week's theme is our St. Patrick's Day special of we haven't come up with a name for it yet, but no, we'll have but a catchy name. But we're like going to cover murders in Ireland. Yes. I feel like the world needed <gasps> to know. Yes. <laughs> okay, I'm going to I'm going to take a step back out now so you can finish. Okay. I, I no, I'm sorry. I love that. That was that's a good plug. I was going to totally I end like it right there and you the this world is, needed to know. Yeah, they did. This so. Bonus episode material. Yes. Okay. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this quick little bonus episode. Um, please, please share us on Facebook. Comment to us on Facebook. Interact with us. That tells Facebook, not just Facebook, but Instagram, any of your preferred social media accounts um, really helps get our name out there. Mm-hmm. On Instagram, we are crime.curious. On Facebook, we're Crime Curious Podcast. We do have a Twitter we're curious crime, and no one has ever tweeted us, so be the first. That hurts a little bit. It does. I want I'm a not, twit. I'm a not... tweet. I want a tweet. She wants a twit. <laughs> I just want a little Somebody twit. Somebody give me a twit. <laughs> you can also go to our website, crimecuriouspodcast.com, and listen there to um, any episodes, of course, anytime. But we also have a subscription, a free subscription at the bottom, where you'll be alerted as soon as we have new episodes out. And we're also on all podcast platforms, so you can also subscribe there as well. All right. Well, we hope you guys uh, keep it curious, and we hope you keep listening. And until then, till next time, say your sexy bye. Bye, guys. I'm going to try it. Bye, guys. Oh, that was good. That was too much. That was sending the wrong message. (laughs) We'll see you guys later. (laughs) 